Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock at our headquarters in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. On this episode of NACIO Voices, we are talking with Dr. Steve Nichols, who is the Chief Technology Officer for the state of Georgia. Today, we are talking to Steve about his long tenure with the Georgia Technology Authority and his unique perspectives. We should mention that in 2017, Steve received the State Technology Innovator Award from NACIO for his leadership and adoption of emerging technology and innovation in service delivery. Oh yeah, and by the way, he has a PhD in physics from the Georgia Institute of Technology. Steve, welcome and thank you for joining us on NACIO Voices. Oh, glad to be here. Steve, before we dig into your work with the Georgia Technology Authority, or GTA as we'll call it, tell us more about your background and how you ended up in your current role and how long you've been with GTA. So as, as Matt mentioned, I've got a PhD in physics. So that was the track I started out on was being a theoretical physicist. And uh, the kind of physics I did was all computational physics. So it was less scrawling equations on a, on a blackboard back then and more just spending all day every day in front of like a Sun workstation writing codes in Fortran or C and shipping them off to supercomputer centers to run. So I had a lot of computer skills from my stint working on my PhD. And at that time, there was a lot more PhDs being produced in the hard sciences than jobs uh, available. This is in the early 90s. So I ended up kind of rolling into uh, a couple of jobs as a Unix system administrator and a C system programmer. And then one thing led to another, and I ended up with a career in, in IT, really in software development. So flash forward to 2002, by that time, I'd sort of evolved into working for a consultancy that specialized in software development. The first Georgia CIO, Larry Singer, um, we had a mutual friend who had introduced me, and I hit it off with Larry, and he's like, hey, how'd you like, a, like to come work for me at the the state. And initially I turned him down and wasn't really interested at all. And he came back a couple months later and kind of made the the offer again and explained what the scope of responsibilities were. So, so by this time, it's 2002, we're kind of in the middle of a recession. My consultancy, we've been laying off a, a lot of people. It wasn't very fun. I talked to the other principals about maybe I'll go do this for a few years. And you know, it's kind of one less, uh, you know, mouth to feed on the the payroll. And that was that was how I got to the state of Georgia was it was just this total bluebird that flew in the window in 2002. Those things always start off as temporary, right? And then ends up being a lifetime career. Uh, yes, yes, that <laughs> certainly turned out to be the case here. So, Steve, as Amy mentioned, uh, you received the State Technology Innovator Award in 2017. I know on this podcast, we talk a lot about innovation and emerging technology, but I'm interested in hearing about how you approach innovation and emerging technology in Georgia. So I mentioned how I how I got here. Larry was a big idea guy. Uh, he had a million things he wanted to pursue. And, and a lot of times my role as CTO then, which really continued on with all the CIOs I've worked for is to kind of be an anti-technologist and talk us out of things that maybe aren't ready or aren't aren't a good fit. So my philosophy kind of around innovation is the same, that uh, it, it shouldn't be bottom up where we're looking at technologies and trying to figure out how to apply them, that it's a lot more productive to talk to the people with the business problems and see what they're thinking about and trying. And then if they've found something that's going to work for them or that's promising is to just jump on and, you know, on their train and try to help them 
get whatever that thing is done and then adopt it and figure out if you can roll it out to the rest of the, the organization. So it's really a different approach. Um, as in my CTO role, I don't have any staff. So there isn't a bunch of people that are just thinking about innovation every day. That really kind of extends to the whole Georgia Technology Authority of just trying to be customer focused and find out what they're doing. And I think that's interesting because, you know, one of our previous guests, Fred Britton, the CIO in Maine, said that his advice for new CIOs was, you know, essentially don't try and reinvent the wheel. You probably won't be in the seat long enough to make, you know, wide scale, large changes, but you sort of have a longer view of this because you've been around. And so I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but it seems like you have more freedom to try and look at these big picture things. Yeah, but that that turnover, even if I'm here, I mean, so I've been in my seat as the CTO for 18 years, there is a lot of turnover in agencies at that sort of deputy commissioner level, at that commissioner level, and policies do change even inside the same administration, um, priorities change. So you do have to figure out, okay, whatever we're going to do here, it needs to be done relatively quickly. And it's also... You want to make sure it's durable, that it's um, you know not something that requires on a lot of external dependencies that might go away next year or you know in the next budget downturn. So those innovations they do have to be somewhat self-contained, but like the good ones catch fire, you know, and then at some point we just take them for granted. Like I think about some of the early experiments. One of our agency customers, the person who was running child support enforcement when they started really adopting cell phones, this is like pre-iPhone. So this would be like, say, 2005, 2006, and pushing out um, SMS messages and proactive notifications. So it's stuff that now we think of as table stakes for a system. But I mean, at the time, it was it was pretty new stuff. And we we're trying to figure out how to procure things like for instant messaging, like short code services to be able to push these notifications in, in bulk. And that wasn't anything that we were even thinking about at GTA. This was really a business person coming and saying, can you help me? Here's how I want to solve this problem to push notifications to my customers instead of having them call me all the time and swamp my call center. Right. Based on what we know from our research and also, you know, the importance that we've seen on our state CIO surveys year after year on consolidation optimization, we know that most states have have consolidated or are working toward consolidating their IT and or their data centers. But Georgia took it a step further and outsourced. So can you talk a little bit about that and what insights do you have on that process now looking back? Okay, sure. So we had started down this road of uh, outsourcing really all of the network and voice and what ended up being about 70% of servers and desktop management in Georgia um, back in 2008. We didn't go into it with the preconceived notion that we were going to um, outsource. We really went into it as, okay, we've got a financial problem and a risk problem. We're spending a lot of money in a lot of different areas. Things are fairly decentralized. The central IT agency at that point, we had a real financial problem around ending up supporting things that didn't have a good chargeback model, things we were upside down on. And then agency customers were managing things that were you know, easy or you know, had a lot of synergies with their business, but it led to just real decentralization in the in the environment. So 
the mission was we gotta we gotta pull this stuff together and do some consolidation and rationalization. And in places where we have a lot of risk, we've got to take risk out of the environment. And mainly, mainly that was on the the server and desktop um, side of things where we just had a lot of different agencies managing things and no one was getting economies of scale. So as we went through the process and we looked at some of the options, we were also faced with the reality. I mean, we still talk to this day about sort of the silver tsunami, but this has been a long running effect, right? The aging of the state uh, workforce. And so back then in 2008, about 20% of our IT workforce was eligible to just go drop their papers and uh, and retire. So, so this was one of the recommendations we got from the consultants we were working with is, hey, you're not going to be able to sustain this this consolidation even if you you know get a big system integrator to to come help you. You're not going to be able to keep it going. And so that gradually pivoted us to the idea of like we we really need to outsource this and get out of the owner operator model and move towards just managing services um, that are going to be delivered by the private sector and get really good at like service levels, service level management, billing and running all the idle processes uh, and just generally managing the technology rather than doing the technology. Yeah, that seems to be the direction that most states are going in now instead of the provider of services, the broker of services, and that managed services model. So uh, for states that are moving in that direction or that may be thinking about, you know, even outsourcing their data centers in the future, what advice do you have for them? You know, I think one of the the biggest success factors is you really have to have executive support from the governor's office. Um, over my 18 years watching a lot of states launch consolidation initiatives with you know varying degrees of success. So you know what I'm saying really applies to any kind of a consolidation play because it involves moving responsibilities around and there's going to be winners and losers. It's just not going to be popular with the agency customers. What we always heard here and we still hear is, Hey, it's a great idea, but you know my agency, you know, for these reasons, like we should be managing, you know, these services. So this tendency to always want to cherry pick out things that, you know, like I said, have a lot of synergy for the agency or it's something that they're really good at. That's just sort of a constant force that will unravel the consolidation. So if if you end up in a situation where you just get, you know, maybe some legislation passed or an executive order, but you don't really have the day to day support, it's just going to be hard to get anything moving because um, agencies can always find reasons to not do things today or this month and, you know, the years go by and you haven't consolidated. So the the ones that have been successful are the ones where they've really got, in my experience, backing from the governor's office and some kind of daily involvement in the initiative. That was certainly the, the case for us in Georgia. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like what we've heard from other states as well. Yep, for sure. Uh, Steve, can you talk a little bit about what your top priorities are right now in Georgia? So there's really two things, you know, this won't come as a surprise for any of your listeners. So it's cybersecurity and cloud. Um, those are really the, the things that we talk about every every day around here right now. Though, you know, I would say cybersecurity is the one we're really Uh, Just have a lot of activity across the board this year. Um, New administration coming in combined with a lot of ransomware attacks in 2019. And there's more emphasis, I think, on us figuring out ways to help the agencies that we don't directly manage. Um, 
you know, I'd mentioned like 70% of the servers and desktops are consolidated here. There's still a lot of agencies in that 30% that are managing their own endpoints. So really figuring out how to help them cure their environments. And then some emphasis as well on responding to the uh, counties and municipalities that are having incidents and need, need help. One of the things that we've been hearing a lot about is risks to the supply chain. So I know there's a couple states right now that have introduced legislation that would actually ban specific foreign-made technologies and vendors from doing business with the states aimed at you know reducing that risk to the supply chain. Can you talk about these challenges and what, if anything, you all are doing in Georgia? So, you know, I'm not going to sort of name any specific vendors or anything like that, but sure. We've had this we've had this come up twice now, maybe maybe really three times, but twice where we had a technology that was already in the environment, um, and it came to our attention that we really needed to um, take it out. Something comes to us from the Fed through the Fusion Center, for example. The actual mechanics of doing that can really be a lift. Just figuring out, you know, where is it in the environment? Have we actually purchased it? especially if it's something, um, a technology that's going to be maybe a component of a larger solution. Maybe it came in as a project or something like that. And then tracking down, because at that point, you just know maybe what which agency purchased it. And you're talking to someone in the um, in their finance office about, hey, we're, we're on the hunt for this thing. Uh, and then figuring out where they've actually implemented, or are they still even using it? And then coming up with a plan to get it out of the environment. So there's a lot more than just saying, you know, here's a supplier we don't want to do business with. Normally, by the time you're realizing that, they're already in the environment and actually getting it out of the environment is the is the real lift. When I see this legislation, that's fine, but that's really just a part of it. Here in Georgia, we're now working on a policy and a standard just establishing what we're doing since we've already had to do this twice without any kind of supporting policy or standard. This spring policy will be coming out that really just mimics our procurement protest process around just asserting our right to do this and then giving some way for the supplier to come back and dispute the process or to get more information or to demonstrate that they aren't a risk and, and to get off the list and get back you know, into the, into the mix in the environment just sort of lays out that process. So we'll do that without any legislation because like I said, it's really about having the, the people to do the work more than just deciding that you're gonna have a law. Right. And, and I think, you know, this is going to become even more prominent in the public discourse over the, you know, over the next year and however many years. And states are certainly more at risk than than I would say the federal government. And then similarly on, on cybersecurity, we've talked a lot about ransomware on this podcast. And, you know, Lano was victim of a very notorious ransomware attack last year. Can you talk about some of the efforts that you all have done to try and help local government, cities in terms of cybersecurity prevention and resiliency? And and so one of the things, you know, kind of getting to the meteor question, Matt, about like what are we actually doing is realizing that we could probably tune up our contract vehicles. So we uh, had an existing contract in place um, that was like multi-award around being able to get consulting services around security, like come do an assessment or help us put together a program or a plan. 
But what we were missing in that procurement is there's not a like a rapid response capability of like, I need someone here in the next 24 hours to help me shore up the network and start, you know, recovering or do forensics. So we'll have a RFP coming out this spring to sort of sift out the suppliers who can do that service and create a separate contract vehicle, as well as rebidding the existing sort of consulting services contract. Other things that we're working on is, since a lot of these ransomware incidents start with some kind of, you know, phishing or watering hole type attack with an end user, pushing out security awareness training across the entire state government enterprise. So I think at this point with our tool, we've got 85,000 individuals enrolled in the tool and we've gotten sort of with the first tranche of training through uh, about maybe 95, 96, 97% of those people have come through and done some of the training, some specific modules in the training on ransomware and phishing. So that's another thing. And then um, I know that my peer here, the state CISO, David Allen, really working on a kind of a vulnerability scanning and management process for all of state government. Again, not just the, the assets that we're managing directly through service providers, but being able to loop in all of those small agencies that are still managing their own, their own endpoints and their own servers. Right, now that's great. And you mentioned cloud as another priority. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it feels like we've been talking about cloud forever. Uh, right. You know, I'd say, you know, I think back at NASIO, like when it really started to be part of the uh, the conversation at every mid-year and every annual meeting, probably around 2012. And it feels to me like we're, you know, kind of getting on to another plateau where, at this point, it's not really a choice for the the IT function of like, oh, you know, well, we think we're going to, you know, move this to the cloud or, um, you know, we're doing some experiment or we're putting these dev and test workloads. What it feels like is happening now is all of those suppliers who are publishing software for those specific state systems are showing up with mature cloud plays. And, the, you know, they've they've already made all their architectural choices. So while it might be cloud hosted, it won't necessarily align with what central IT thinks, uh, you know, a cloud solution should look like from the point of view of tooling and how the processes work and that kind of thing. So that's, that's where I think we're starting to see a challenge is shifting from small standalone systems, you know, where maybe we control the source code or SaaS plays where you're just seeing sort of a very specific business function moving into the cloud into some projects with kind of large line of business systems where you're talking about tens or even hundreds of servers and all that associated infrastructure moving into a a cloud environment and then trying to figure out what processes and we were just talking about security, for example, like what security processes are going to go with it that are going to be state controlled versus maybe you're going to be using, um, you know, solutions that the supplier is bringing and that they've they've already built in the cloud. Yeah, a whole new set of considerations for sure. It feels like we've, at least for this last decade, kind of passed the point of peak consolidation and we're now deconsolidating again, you know, into the cloud with different things. So, you know, I predict in five years, maybe a little longer, we're going to be talking about how we're going to be consolidating our cloud workloads, not back into the data center, but just into smaller cloud footprints that are more centrally managed. Oh, that's so interesting. 
Steve, we talked about the fact that you've been at GTA for 18 years. So how many CIOs and governors have you worked with now? Uh, four CIOs, four governors. Okay. So what's your advice to other non-CIO state IT leaders for providing that institutional knowledge and supporting consistency in your initiatives when you're faced with a new administration that may have different goals and priorities than the one before? You know, I think the the biggest thing is you just can't get stuck on what you were doing before. Uh, I think you just have to recognize that, you know, every every election that brings in a new administration, you know, they're elected for a reason, right? You know, they're bringing what the electorate, you know, what your citizens are sort of looking for and that whatever you were doing for the previous, you know, administration or stretch of time that, you know, if it's if it's something good from the new administration's point of view, that's just going to be baseline. They're not going to know how much work it was to get there. You're not going to get credit for that. You just need to kind of recognize that they're going to look at how can we make this better or run this more efficiently or for less cost or whatever the thing is or more securely. And then you're going to get policy changes and you just have to, you know, get on board just because something was a priority for the last administration doesn't mean the new administration is going to care about that issue as much or even even at all. It's easy to get sort of wrapped up in these things you've spent a lot of time working on, but you know, my advice is look forward and support, you know, because at the end of the day, we all work for the governor in our respective states. Just figure out how you can support them and what they're trying to uh, trying to accomplish. That's great. Sounds like you've really been able to stay flexible throughout the years and that attributes to your success. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, you know, like I joke with people sometimes of like, I don't know who the CTO was that thought that up, but, you know, (laughs) you know, sometimes, you know, we're building sandcastles, right? That last for, you know, five years or whatever they last for. And then you're replacing them with the new system or the next thing or whatever the thing is. And so you just can't, can't get too wedded to it. So. Yeah. So it sounds like you have to be quick on your feet, which is why we're going to transition into our lightning round, okay. uh, where we get to ask you some lighter hearted questions. And are you ready, sir? <laughs> I am ready. Good. All right. So what was your first job, Steve? I had a job as a dishwasher in a pizza restaurant, I guess, when I was in uh, high school. And at that point, I was not planning to go to college at all. Oh, wow. And uh, that, uh, a year of that as a, as a side gig when I was in high school was enough to convince me that I really wanted to go to college. <laughs> wow. Definitely. Uh, second question. What was the last movie you saw? You know, so I don't go out a lot to movies, but do watch a little bit of Netflix. Um, my wife and I watch a lot of documentaries. You know, I think the last one was probably a movie called Take Every Wave. And it's a, it's a really a biography, I guess, of big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Cool. Um, and the final question for the lightning round. If you could visit anywhere in the world, where would you go? Well, got a trip planned this year with a bunch of my Atlanta friends that we often go on vacation together. We're going to Norway in June to do some uh, some hiking. So that's what I've mainly been thinking about lately is going to Norway. Very cool. Awesome. Love to go there. All right. Well, Steve, thanks again for providing us with your insights and your time today. We really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to NASIO Voices. Thanks to everyone who has already subscribed to NASIO Voices. Please leave a review if you like what you hear. Yeah, and if you don't like it, you can just keep your thoughts to yourself, right? (laughs) 
Talk to you next time.